Well, it's been a great morning already, hasn't it? That is fantastic, Jane. Really enjoy being a part of that for you. So we're in our middle of our series, Relation Slips, and we've all experienced those relation slips. We've been on the receiving side or we've been on the giving side. It doesn't matter if we're a convinced person of faith or an unconvinced person of faith or somewhere in between. Uh, we all have these relation slips that come into our life or we, in a sense, produce in our life. So we all need to kind of process through how do we uh, work through those and how, does they, how do they affect us and how can we avoid them. Well, last week we started about talking about the workplace and how there are many facets to relation slips that happen in the world play, workplace. And last week we established firmly that uh, don't let relation slips when you are not the boss. So we've got this idea of when you're not the boss and when you are the boss. And so last week as we started going, talking about theology of... Um, of, of work and those kinds of things, we really established that this is not the way you and I should work. Thanks. Have a good day. Mr. Delaney's office. Oh, hello, Mr. Delaney. If you're not feeling well, I'm sorry. Yes, I can have that ready for you and you'll be stopping in to pick it up. Oh, you'll stop in tomorrow. And what about the big presentation today at 2 o'clock? Absolutely, I'll have them conference you in from home. Okay. Feel better, Mr. Delaney. Apostle Paul writes a letter to the Colossians, and this is the way he says what we just saw. Servants, obey your masters in everything. Obey all the time, even when they can't see you. Don't just pretend to work hard so they will treat you well. No, you must serve your masters honestly because you respect the Lord. Now, last week, we gave a little history about what the world looked like, not to go into all those details, but last week, we saw that in Paul's day, about 60% of the world were slaves in some degree. So that's kind of the, ball, the backdrop that uh, Paul is writing about this, but there's a lot of applications that you and I uh, can make about this. So when we're thinking about how to work and how to do work and whether somebody's watching us or not, we need to really guard against these guys. So we will get that schedule revised and sent right out to you, sir. That sounds good. Listen, I should be back in the office on Tuesday. I'd like to see an updated P&L. Very good, sir. Yeah. We're all over it. Right about Take care. That was close. Yeah, it was close. I can still hear you. That was close. Yeah, it was close. Again, how to work and how not to work, and when someone can see you and when they can't see you. Again, as already mentioned, if you want to catch up and, and view that, you can. There's a lot of, a lot of formats for that. So let's go back to just wrapping up. We didn't get to everything I wanted to talk about last week when it came to uh, when you're not the boss. Uh, so as we are wrapping that up, uh, one more idea here is that we need to do it right, reject good is enough. We need to do it right, eject is good enough. 
Um, when we're doing work and we're doing things, we need to understand that doing it right is what we need to do. And this idea of just getting by or just doing enough is not the way to go. Uh, I can remember when my uh, dad, when my mother went back to college, I was probably 15 or 16, and uh, she would go back to college and take a Saturday morning class, and my dad, Lieutenant Colonel Bill Spencer, decided that it was his job to do the room inspections, and uh, the first couple weeks, I would just stuff everything into my closet until he discovered that was what's going on, and then he would pull everything out. Uh, I was just doing enough to get by. I've shared with you before that I discovered that I could plug in the vacuum cleaner and just let it run in my room without vacuuming, and so they would hear the vacuum clean going, but I'm not vacuuming. Again, that was not what I was supposed to be doing, but sometimes you and I do only what we have to do, and Paul is saying, and the Lord is saying, that if you and I are going to experience less relation slips with our boss, uh, with our co-workers, with those who work, in a sense, we supervise, all of that, you and I have got to get a place where we do it right and reject the idea of something is good enough. We need to remember that whatever we do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. And, and that word whatever means everything. And we do it with all of our heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So as you and I are thinking about our work and we're thinking about doing it right, we're, we're in a sense indirectly serving the person that has employed us, but we also need to realize that uh, God is watching. God is very observant the way you and I work, and he's watching that, and he wants us to do our job correctly, give it our heart. And sometimes you and I may have a real hard time for the person we're working with, and, and, and maybe it's, it's not even the job, but it's the way they kind of lead or don't lead, or, or it's a toxic work environment. But what the Lord wants us to do is he wants us to work with all our heart and engage in it regardless of that, realizing that as you and I are working, as you and I are serving, as you and I are doing those things, it's not for that supervisor directly, it's really for God. So we're working for the Lord, not human masters. In a very familiar parable to many of us, uh, there's a situation where a master leaves and, and he has three servants and uh, they're supposed to perform their duties without him being around. And uh, one of the servants gets this comment. It says, the master answered, you did it right. You are a good servant who can be trusted. We talked about that a little bit last week. We're serving, our, we're pointing to our relationship with God. If we're a Christ follower, the way you and I work points to our relationship with God. And we want to be in a situation where that our work habits actually create trust by our employer, even that employer that's really difficult, really hard to work with. Uh, we've all had one of those kinds of employers or lots of, kind of those kinds of employers. And the question is, do they actually, even though they give us a hard time, do they trust us by the way you and I work in that environment? Uh, it goes on to say, uh, you do well with a small amount of money, so I will let you care for much greater things. Come and share uh, my happiness with me. You see, when you and I are giving it all, when we're giving a fair work or fair uh, day's work for our wage, uh, we get trusted with more. 
And God even says that God looks at our lives. We recently were looking at the life of Joseph, and we saw that Joseph would start off with little things and, and, a, and lots of tragedy, but we'd see as Joseph uh, leaned into that and did a great job, he became trusted. And as he was trusted, he was trusted with greater things. He was able to be entrusted with a larger piece of the pie, if you will, and that continually, continually pointed back to Christ. One of the takeaways from this idea is if you want to be paid more, be worth more now. Sometimes we do the opposite of that, don't we? We we say, well, until I'm getting paid what I'm worth, I'm really not going to give it my whole heart. I remember I had a guy who was on staff back in Concord, and he, he had determined that he wasn't getting paid enough, and so he would dog it more and more and more. And his role at the church was 10.30 to 5.30 in the morning. He's supposed to clean the building, and uh, we had a large Christian school, and that was the time to do that. And as I teased out what was going on, uh, he had been there for a long while, I found out that he was upset that he wasn't being compensated the way he thought he should be compensated. So since no one was monitoring him, he was not working his full seven and a half, eight hours every evening. And, uh, you know, and, and so he was going from that, once you pay me what I think I ought to get paid, then I'll work harder. It's completely opposite. If you want to be paid more, be worth more now. And anyone who's really engaged with the business or supervising or leading or where they're your boss, we need to remember that leaders who know their businesses and care keep a sharp eye out for the, for the shoddy and cheap And so they're watching that, they're observing that, and and they're looking for that. So you're not faking anyone. Sometimes those of us who have been in supervisory positions have actually seen it. We're not totally unaware. We're not totally unaware, and we know that that person really is not doing their job. But sometimes it's hard to, to get somebody. Sometimes some of us just don't like conflict or whatever, so we let it ride a little bit. But leaders do know, bosses do know, And they keep a sharp eye out on it. And if you want to, in a sense, be paid more, you want to go up to the ladder, be worth more now. I've said this a lot of times. As Christ followers, uh, even if you have an employer that has nothing to do with faith, our example, our testimony should be such that when someone goes, oh, you're, you're a Christian? That should actually endear us to them. They should want to have us work for them because we carry with us a Christ-centered work ethic. But all of us know that actually isn't true because a lot of times many of us drop the ball in that area. So, so when an employer hears Christian, sometimes they hear something completely different than they ought to hear. Another thought that goes along with that, this isn't in your notes, if I never do more than I'm paid to do, I'll never be paid more for what I do. Same kind of idea. Uh, We need to take that to heart and realize that. And again, we may think no one's watching. We may think no one cares. Uh, I remember the first time I worked uh, in a union job, not to despair unions, but I worked at this shipping company, this pharmaceutical company, and I got there and I was supposed to work in the loading dock and bring the product to its place on the, on the shelves, and then someone else would pick it later on to go to the stores. And so I just started putting my boxes on and using the two-wheeler and walking to the place where it needed to go. And I did that for, I don't know, an hour. And all of a sudden, my supervisor, the shipping person, comes up to me and goes, what are you doing? 
I'm like, what do you mean, what am I doing? What, what, what have I done wrong? He goes, you're working way too fast. What are you, running? You're going to have all this work done in two days, and it's supposed to last all five days. Get that every once in a while. You and I are supposed to work thoroughly, We're supposed to do the job well. Uh, one time, uh, there was a, a, a friend of mine, a, a guy at our church in Concord, and uh, he helped with leading worship and uh, helped, was on, actually on our leadership team also. And uh, he didn't realize this, but I had my eye on him. And about three years into knowing him, one day, finally, I said to him, I said, Brian, what would it take for you to come on staff at the church? What would we need to do? What would we need to do? How would we need to compensate you? Because the way you've invested yourself in leading worship, uh, the way you've put things together, the way you've been a leader, in a sense, uh, you've been, you don't even know this, but you've been auditioning every day all these three years, and you didn't even know it. This was like a three-year-long interview. And some of us have had those experiences. Someone's watching us. This was a volunteer position, and then he came on staff. So every day is an audition for tomorrow. Sometimes it's that specific. It's a job you're doing right now. Sometimes it's just watching God, God watching how you are navigating through what He's entrusted to you, and he's trying to see, is he, is she ready for the next thing I have for them? Are they ready for that? So when you and I are thinking about relation slips and not doing that and not having those apart, we need to think about what, how am I working when I am not the one who's in charge? Because today's response, this week's response, this year's response to what is before me, the assignments before me, can be an audition for tomorrow. And I don't even realize that. So there's some things we need to understand when it comes to relationships when we're not the boss. And there's also some things to do when we are the boss. Now, for some of you who say, I'm not the boss, and blah, 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 and I go, okay, that, that, that may be true. I want you to realize that also the idea of being the boss, being a leader, one of the definitions for being a leader is being a person of influence. Now, yes, it's not exactly the same, but you and I, even in lateral moves, even when uh, we, can, we can, in a sense, lead through influence, and all of us have the opportunity to lead through influence in our homes, uh, in our neighborhoods, the places we work, the places we shop, the places where we have fun, we can be influencers. So in a sense, yes, there are these places where you're actually the boss, the one in charge, but there's also this idea that you and I can lead through influence. Paul goes on in Colossians to say this. He says, and masters, treat your servants considerately. Be fair with them. And don't forget a minute that you too serve a master, God in heaven. You see, when you and I are in that place of leadership, when you and I are the boss, we need to understand how we treat the person that's been entrusted to our leadership. Are we considerate? Are we fair with them? And we should never forget for a minute, that you and I are also serving someone. We have a master, a God in heaven. So the way we treat others is very, very, very important. 
We shouldn't, in a sense, use our position, use our leverage, use our leadership for just our own benefit. Uh, We need to make sure that we're being fair and treating them right. We need to make sure we're not like this guy. We have got to cut cost, people. Ideas. We could open an account on FedEx.com, save 10% on online express shipping. Okay, how about this? We open an account on FedEx.com, we save 10% on online express shipping. That is wonderful. You just said the same thing I said, only you did this. No, I did this. Makes all the difference. Have you worked for that guy? We probably all have worked for that guy, haven't we? The guy that takes credit for our, our ideas, our, our concepts. And then the guy who also blames us when something goes wrong and maybe our fingerprints really weren't on it. Maybe their fingerprints were on it more. But Paul says, if you're going to avoid relation slips and you're the boss, you're the one who's influential, you're, you're the leader, you and I need to do it in a fair, right way. A number of us are reading another Patrick Lecioni book. It's called The Motive, and he, the whole premise of the book is this idea of what is your motive for serving or what is your motive for wanting to be the boss, the one in charge. And he says this, before you even get to anything when it comes to leading, being the boss, he says, why you lead comes before what to do to lead. Why you lead comes before what to do to lead. And so as you and I are thinking about that, we need to ask ourselves, why do we even want to be in that leadership position? Why do we want to be the boss? Is it to, uh, in a sense, get all the perks? Is it, is it because we get to tell everyone else to do? Maybe it's cause, just because of the more money, you know, when you go up to that next step. Why do you and I want to be in that leadership position before we even try to figure out what it actually looks like to be in that leadership position? He says there's two basic ideas when it comes to this is they want to serve others, uh, servant leadership, and we've all met those guys or those ladies in, in positions above us or our bosses, and we really discovered that they are in that place because they want to serve others. They're a servant leadership. We could take the time and look at passage after passage after passage in the first four books of the Newer Testament. They call them the Gospels. And we could see how Jesus continually demonstrated servant leadership. He was the leader, but he served those all around him. And he wasn't just a normal leader. For those of us who understand this, we realize that he is also God, one of the Trinity. We baptized in his name, and and he came not to be served, but to serve. And then there's the other side of that coin. They want to be rewarded, Reward reward-centered leadership. And for all of us, this is a danger. For all of us, our motive may start off in the right way, but it's real easy to start letting it drift It's real easy to start, in a sense, feeling entitled. I'm the boss. It's my company. It's real easy to do that. And this is a huge difference. And this book here that I'm talking about is not a, quote-unquote, Christian book. It's It's just a best business practices book. 
saw this happen with one of my friends who owns a fairly sized uh, company, and he's got some of his kids working for him, and very successful, and, and he believes that it is God's company, and he believes that it's there to serve others, and he as uh, the owner, he and his other brother as owners, uh, are there to, are, have in a sense, had this company entrusted to their care, so that is the way they treat their employees, and it goes on and on, and you can see that all through the organization. They're trying to be servant leadership. It's interesting, one of their sons who had a huge, huge part of the company, because he was like a vice president, uh, did not buy into that. And eventually he started his own company. And his company is getting more successful and more successful and more successful. And at first glance, you'd look at the two companies and say, wow, they're basically the same. But if you peel back the layers, if you got into those companies, you would find that one company is really more about the reward, and the other company is really about serving others. As Christ followers, when you and I are put in the place of being a supervisor, of having influence, we have to ask ourselves why we want to serve. Sometimes when I'm talking with someone about taking on a little bit deeper, more uh, of a deeper leadership role, let's say at church or something like that, and, and they're hesitant to that, they, they're, they're, they're a little hesitant, I'm actually, that actually pleases me more because they don't feel entitled. They go, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can get my, I, I really want to, you know, use this well, and, and they stop and think. Then there's the other person, yeah, yeah, I can't, you know, they're, they're just on fire. They want it because they want the title. They want, they want quote, unquote, bennies that go with it, just to, just to be esteemed a little bit more than everybody else in their minds, and that's all off, and, but this, 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 this tension between wanting to serve others or wanting the reward of others. I don't know if you know, in the Older Testament, there was one of the best prophets just before kings came on the line in the nation of Israel, and his name was Samuel, and they didn't want Samuel to continue on. They wanted a king like everybody else, and he's really hurt by this, and he's in this conversation about this, and he really comes to the point where he has to talk about it, and this is what he says. He says, I've led you faithfully... From my youth until this very day, look at me. Do you have any complaints to bring before God and his anointed? Have I stolen so much as an ox or a donkey? Have I ever taken advantage of you or exploited you? Have I ever taken a bribe or played fast and loose with the law? Bring your complaint and I'll make it right. And if you read a little farther along, they had no complaints to bring to him. Wouldn't it be a fantastic thing? Don't want to get into politics, but if this was the mantra of our politicians, unbelievable. But at the same time, it can creep into our lives, and we can do it subtly. We can start off with good motives, and all of a sudden we start to drift. Let's be very careful. So when you and I are the boss, and we're trying to avoid relation slips with people that work with us, for us, above us. We need to always be thinking about creating a work environment that is just and fair. Sometimes just and fair are not being equal in a sense. Sometimes fair does not mean being equal. There's, there's different roles, there's different things, but the idea of being just and being fair 
Did a little research. There's, there's a company that uh, the, the owner uh, felt a little guilty or a lot guilty about how much more he made of all of his employees and how there were employees that were really struggling. And uh, he just went across and changed the whole pay structure and had everyone get paid the same. And at first that seemed wonderful, that seemed generous. He even took a huge pay cut, I mean a huge pay cut. But eventually that, that started to have all kinds of problems. Because you did have people doing different jobs in different ways, and they were all getting paid the same. And eventually, it all broke down. So we need to understand that fair does not mean equal. Any of us who have kids and have tried to navigate discipline and kids doing things and not doing things have discovered that being fair with them sometimes means we need to adjust and discipline and invest in their life and build into their life completely differently. We have to remember that fair isn't everyone getting the same. Fair is everyone getting what they need in order to be successful. And if you're a servant leader, you want those under your leadership to be successful. It's about them being successful. It's not about just you getting the success of harnessing all their great ideas, all their work. It's about you helping them succeed. And back to that story about my friend who was at company, that's where really the rubber, just the, the tension was right there because the, the dad, this friend of mine, wanted people to succeed. And the older son wanted the companies to succeed. And, and that's where they would rub shoulders. That's where the problem was. And again, the son's gone off and he's building a great company, but, but his motives are different than, than the dad. So we want to create an environment that's both just and fair. Fair does not equal. We need to understand that love and truth form a good leader. Sound leadership is founded on loving integrity. All of us have had those bosses, those people that have, that have integrity. What they say is what they mean. They're honest. And we just love those kinds of leaders. But then we've also had those leaders that are, that are two-faced, that don't have any integrity. And it creates all kinds of havoc in, in the uh, workplace. It becomes very toxic. It becomes very difficult. We also want to think about treating our subordinates, if you want to use that word, as you want God to treat you. So, so we, realize, we realize we have a master in heaven. We know that God treats us. We want God to be forgiving us. And so then, in a sense, we need to transfer that over to them. We, we know that by experience that we have a master in heaven. Another verse says this, Think of the kindness you wish others would show you and do the same for them. And a lot of times when we're in that supervisory position, when we're in that place of leadership, we actually have the power to demonstrate that kindness to others. We get to create that kind of culture in the place that we're working, the place that we're, quote-unquote, serving. We don't want to create an environment where everyone's scared of the boss like this. Hey, who shipped the 200 boxes to our client in Boston? Was it you, Lewis? I shipped them with FedEx. You're a heck of a man doing a heck of a job, Lewis. 
trust the company with proven reliability. Shocked everybody, a moment of niceness. I like what Lassoni says in his book. He says this, My hope is that someday people won't talk about servant leadership because that will be the only type of leadership that exists. Wouldn't that be amazing if you didn't have to distinguish, oh, this is servant leadership, this is reward-based leadership. At least in a community of faith, this should be the ongoing uh, idea that eventually people that are a part of a church kind of organization go, you know, we don't distinguish between servant leadership because that's the only kind of leadership that exists in that place. It just doesn't happen by magic. It doesn't happen. It happens. You have to be intentional about that. That's why last week we talked about remembering that you are on assignment, that I am on assignment. We talked about the difference of retirement and the fact that Christ followers never retire. It's just a different assignment. 1 Corinthians, you read last week, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them, this is the rule that I lay down in all churches. So if you're a Christ follower, have you even gotten your mind around that my life is an assignment? That's what my life is. No matter what it is, I'm on assignment. I'm being assigned something. And when my purposes are done, I'm done. There's a little line in Acts about David. King David, when his purposes were over, he, he, he went to be with God, he went to heaven. But a lot of us, again, have baked in this idea of what we think about in the United States that, in a sense, we're all shooting for the time where we can kind of stop working, stop serving. But there's an assignment after an assignment after assignment. Some of the most honorable people I would meet through my life as being a pastor would be meeting that person that, that physically there's nothing left. Remember this sweet old little lady in South Portland in a wheelchair all hunkered over, her hands all gnarled. I'd go with her, I think her name was B. Wainwright. I'd go in and visit her. And uh, I would leave with my spirit lifted up. Because she was a person that was there just loving on anyone that came to see her. She was in pain all the time. She was praying all the time. But she was living out her assignment on full. She embraced her assignment. I might have resented that assignment. But not be Wainwright. She embraced it. We're on an assignment. So as we think about relationships, we think about the places we work, we think about when we're not the boss and when we are the boss, if we're really going to get a handle in moving in this direction, it's not just throwing a switch and we're there, but if we're going to get a handle and move in this direction, we always need to be looking in before you lead out. It's disastrous, especially in a community of faith setting, when someone is not looking in and they're leading out. Those two have got to be hand in hand. We saw that week number one, the foundation, looking in, seeing what God is doing in our soul and our heart, being quiet enough that we know that. So we look in before we lead out. When we lead out just because we have some expertise, we have, we have a little bit of a brain in our, between our, on our, in our mind, we have a little bit of thinking, when we lead out just on that basis, 
Disaster is around the corner. Relationships are all over the place. So we look in before we lead out. When David was transferring leadership of the kingdom over to his son Solomon, this is what he said. He said, Solomon, my son, get to know well your father's God. Serve him with a whole heart, an eager mind. For God examines every heart and he sees every motive. If you seek him, he'll make sure you're found or you find him. I got to say this. Sometimes you and I are not seeking. And then we wonder why we don't experience God in our life. Why we're not aware of his presence. It's all because you and I aren't, aren't seeking. We're not moving in that direction. But when you and I seek him, when it's a hunger, when it's a passion in our lives, when we take more than three minutes in the morning and read a little email that has a little verse in it, when we really seek him, we'll find that we find him. Look sharp now. God has chosen you to build his holy house. For Solomon, it was to build the temple. Some of us are familiar with this. But all of us have an assignment. All of us have been chosen to build something, to be a part of something. Be brave. Be determined. And just do it. Don't give excuses. Don't hold back. Some of you know the story of Moses. And Moses gave excuses. And Aaron came alongside. Don't give excuses. Just lean in and do it. Look in before you lead out. I'd like to end with this little story that uh, Tim Keller, Timothy Keller tells about uh, somebody and his church experience. So let me just read it to you. Pastor Kelly noticed, or Keller noticed, that a young woman who seemed not to be a Christ follower yet would come into the service just after it started and then quick, quickly leave after the service. Finally, one Sunday, he caught up with her. She said, I'm not really sure I believe what you folks do, but I'm intrigued. So Tim asked her how she found out about the church. She told him how she worked at a TV network in New York City. She, had been with the, she hadn't been with the network very long when she made a very bad mistake, a career-ending mistake. She thought she would get the ax, be fired, and that would be it. But her boss, who had a lot of credibility with his superiors, his bosses, went in and took the blame for her. The boss said, I hadn't trained her enough, equipped her enough. And telling his bosses, if you're going to be mad with somebody, be mad with me. Now, when he did that, he did lose some of his credibility, some of his social capital, but obviously she kept her job. The situation was over. So she went to find her boss afterwards. She wanted to thank him. She was very, he was very matter-of-factly about it. He said, don't worry about it. She wasn't satisfied with his answer. Nothing to thank here, he would say. She kept after him. She said, I've had bosses in the past who have, been taking, who have taken credit for the things I've done. That happens all the time. But I've never had a boss take the blame for something I've done. It's just not human nature for a boss to take credit, and if someone does something wrong, not to blame them. But you didn't blame me. Why did you not blame me? I've never seen this before. 
He, in humility, kept saying it really was no big deal. She kept pressing him. Finally, he said, okay, I'm only going to say this once, but you made me say it. I'm a Christian, and my whole life is based on a man who took the blame for me. So being a Christ follower tends to shape everything I do in my life. She asked her boss where, she, where he went to church. And that's why she had been slipping in just after the service began and quickly slipping out after the service was over. She was intrigued to find out more about what being a Christ follower was all about because she had a boss who lived a life pointing to Christ in an extremely powerful way. Amazing story. All of us, from time to time, have the opportunity to influence a life powerfully when we're the boss and even when we're not the boss. So we look in, see where our relationship with Christ is, see if we need a relationship with Christ, see if we started a relationship with Christ. We look in before we lead out. And when that becomes the rhythm of our life, we do things like that boss at the TV station does. We don't take credit, but we do take the blame. Because we follow someone who took the blame for us. And it touches our lives at every point. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love for us. We thank you that we have a Savior that has taken the blame for us, has taken our sin. Thank you for the symbolism this morning of a baptism where we see the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son and how that changes everything for us. Lord, I ask if there's anyone here this morning that's not had the opportunity to say yes to you, they'd at least be thinking about it. Maybe they would talk to someone here who could explain it a little bit more. And for those of us who have said yes to you, help us to create in our wake a place where there's less relation slips, whether we're the employee or the employer, whether the one who doesn't have much influence or we're the one that has all the influence. Help us to live lives that really make a difference in other people's lives in lasting ways. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.